Chapter Thirty Six of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Meanwhile, Kit Carson, who was with Major Carleton, had discovered a trail made by three of the enemy. Carefully following it up, it was found to join the principal path a short distance away. When Quinn arrived, he had also some discoveries to report, and the scouts held a consultation over the question. It was agreed by all that they were on the track of the enemy they were seeking. The general reader is not apt to appreciate the skill, patience, and intelligence shown by the scouts and hunters in tracing the flight of an enemy through a wild and desolate country. As an evidence of the wonderful attainments of bordermen in woodcraft, the following letter may be given, written by the surgeon at Fort Randall in Dakota in 1869. The most extraordinary skill that is exhibited in this part of the country, either by the white man or red native, is in the practice of trailing. Here it may be accounted an art as much as music, painting or sculpture is in the East. The Indian or trapper that is a shrewd trailer is a man of close observation, quick perception, and prompt action. As he goes along, nothing escapes his observation and what he sees and hears he accounts for immediately. Often not another step is taken until a mystery that may present itself in this line is fairly solved. The Indian trailer may stand still for hours in succession to account for certain traces or effects in tracks, and sometimes gives to the matter unremitting attention for days and weeks. The trailer is not a graceful man. He carries his head much inclined, his eye is quick and restless, always on the watch, and he is practicing his art unconsciously, hardly ever crossing the track of man or animal without seeing it. When he enters a house, he brings the habits he contracted in the practice of his art with him. I know a trailer as soon as he enters my room. He comes in through the door softly and with an air of exceeding caution. Before he is fairly in, or at least has sat down, he has taken note of every article and person. Though there may be a dozen vacant chairs in the room, he is not used to chairs, and, like the Indian, prefers a more humble seat. When I was employed by General Harney last summer to take charge temporarily of the Indians that were gathered here to form a new reservation, one day a guide and trailer came into the General's headquarters. I told him to be seated. He sat down on the floor, bracing his back against the wall. The general saw this, and in vexation cried out, My God, why don't you take a chair when there are plenty here not occupied? The man arose and seated himself in a chair, but in so awkward and uncomfortable a manner that he looked as if he might slip from it at any moment. But when this uncouth person came to transact his business with the general, he turned out to be a man of no ordinary abilities. His description of a route he took as guide and trailer for the Ogallalas in bringing them from the Platte to this place was minute, and to me exceedingly interesting. Every war party that for the season had crossed his trail, he described with minuteness as to their number, the kinds of arms they had, and stated the tribes they belonged to. In these strange revelations that he made, there was neither imposition nor supposition, for he gave satisfactory reasons for every assertion he made. I have rode several hundred miles with an experienced guide and trailer, Hack, 
whom I interrogated upon many points in the practice of his art. Nearly all tracks I saw, either old or new, as a novice in the art, I questioned him about. In going to the Niobrara River, crossed the track of an Indian pony. My guide followed the track a few miles, and then said, It is a stray black horse with a long bushy tail, nearly starved to death, has a split hoof on the left forefoot, and goes very lame, and he passed here early this morning. Astonished and incredulous, I asked him the reasons for knowing these particulars by the tracks of the animal, when he replied, It was a stray horse because it did not go in a direct line. His tail was long, for he dragged it over the snow. In brushing against a bush, he left some of his hair which shows its color. He was very hungry, for in going along he has nipped at those high, dry weeds which horses seldom eat. The fissure of the left forefoot left also its tract, and the depth of the indentation shows the degree of his lameness. And his tracks show he was here this morning, when the snow was hard with frost. At another place we came across an Indian track, and he said, it is an old Yankton who came across the Missouri last evening to look at his traps. In coming over he carried in his right hand a trap, and in his left a lasso to catch a pony which he had lost. He returned without finding the horse, but had caught in the trap he had out a prairie wolf, which he carried home on his back, and a bundle of kinnikinick wood in his right hand. Then he gave his reasons. I know he is old by the impression his gait has made, and a Yankton by that of his moccasin. He is from the other side of the river, as there are no Yanktons on this side. The trap he carried struck the snow now and then, and in same manner as when he came, shows that he did not find his pony. A drop of blood in the center of his tracks shows that he carried the wolf on his back, and the bundle of kinnikinick wood he used for a staff for support. And catching a wolf shows that he had traps out. But I asked, how do you know it is a wolf? Why not a fox, or a coyote, or even a deer? Said he, If it had been a fox, or coyote, or any other small game, he would have slipped the head of the animal in his waist-belt, and so carried it by his side, and not on his shoulders. Deer are not caught by traps, but if it had been a deer, he would not have crossed this high hill, but would have gone back by way of the ravine, and the load would have made his steps still more tottering. Another Indian track, which we saw twenty miles west of this, he put this serious construction upon. He is an upper Indian, a prowling horse-thief, carried a double shotgun, and is a rascal that killed some white man lately, and passed here one week ago. For, said he, a lone Indian in these parts is on mischief, and generally on the lookout for horses. He had on the shoes of a white man whom he had in all probability killed but his steps are those of an Indian. Going through the ravine, the end of his gun hid into the deep snow. A week ago we had a very warm day, and the snow being soft, he made these deep tracks. Ever since it has been intensely cold weather, which makes very shallow tracks. I suggested that perhaps he bought those shoes. Indians don't buy shoes, and if they did they would not buy them as large as these were, for Indians have very small feet. The most noted trailer of this country was Paul Deloria, a half-breed who died under my hands of Indian consumption last summer. I have spoken of him in a former letter. At one time I rode with him, and trailing was naturally the subject of our conversation. 
I begged to trail with him an old track over the prairie, in order to learn its history. I had hardly made the proposition when he drew up his horse, which was at a ravine, and said, Well, here is an old elk track. Let us get off our horses and follow it. We followed it but a few rods when he said it was exactly a month old, and made at two o'clock in the afternoon. This he knew, as then we had our last rain, and at the hour named the ground was softer than at any other time. The track before us was then made. He broke up here and there clusters of grass that lay in the path of the track, and showed me the dry ends of some, the stumps of others, and by numerous other similar items accounted for many circumstances that astonished me. We followed the trail over a mile. Now and then we saw that a wolf, a fox, and other animals had practiced their trailing instincts on the elk's tracks. Here and there he would show me where a snake, a rat, and a prairie dog had crossed the track. Nothing had followed or crossed the track that the quick eye of Deloria did not detect. He gave an account of the habits of all the animals that had left their footprints on the track, also the state of the weather since the elk passed, and the effect of sunshine, winds, aridity, sandstorms, and other influences that had a bearing on these tracks. End of chapter 36